Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks. Thanks for stopping by. Sorry, my voice is a little bit different, but uh, that's the way it goes. Mr. Kelly, how was your time in Florida? Well, actually, it was pretty nice for the first few days. About halfway through, we came back from the beach on Thursday. We got down there Monday. We were supposed to stay till Sunday and got back on Thursday. And there is a message at our door. A tropical storm watch has been issued and the park is closing, and you have to evacuate by 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. Whoa. So, yeah, so it got cut short. Whoa. But as I said earlier, I spent more <laughs> I spent more days on the beach last week than I will next week, so it's okay. That's we'll true. It. But, yeah, it, it, was, it was nice, though. Just out of curiosity, when mm-hmm. you drive to a location like mm-hmm. this, do you just kind of do it, wing it, or do you GPS it, or what do you do? Well, we've been there enough that we have a pretty good idea of where we're going, and so we we have, you know, the GPS, we have our old written-down instructions, mm-hmm. but we've got it down pretty well, and it's it's kind of funny because you do have to get off the interstate and go through some small towns and make some turns on some county roads and state <laughs> roads. I mean, it's not just a straight <laughs> shot, but, uh, but yeah, we have it down pretty well, so we know where we're going. Well, great. Yeah. So it sounds like fun, except you had to come back early. And, you know, we came back. I mean, where we live, it feels like you're practically on vacation anyway at our house. That's why we love it so much. Right. And so one of the days we came down, went to Max Local Eats and had their burgers, which are the best. And uh, and then we stayed home one day, and it was a beautiful day, so we got some things done. So it was fine. It was it was okay. Did you take your peacock with you? No, we didn't. And and the last hummingbird must have followed us because it's gone now. So, ah, yeah. well, great. Well, thanks for the uh, follow up story. <laughs> oh, great. you're welcome. And folks, thanks for, to you for stopping by. We'll be taking a good garlic stroll shortly. But right now, you can call three one four. 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Saturday mornings, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard. And what's that in the front of your house? Oh, my goodness. Utility work. Oh, no. How about the side landscape? Specialty garden space, taste of the tropics, those houseplants, better get them inside really soon, especially since it's going to get below freezing on Halloween, I guess. What is potting mix? How to improve your soil? Shearing and pruning? How to get rid of those bugs and diseases on your houseplants particularly? Or how to do it outside on your perennials by cutting off the foliage of your perennials, discarding it. Don't leave it lay there because that is where a lot of diseases and problems and bugs hide out during the winter time. My thoughts and orchestration hopefully will open and solidify your options. But, of course, the final judgment of the action you're going to take is going to be yours. And this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into into your home, your car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Very important player in this game is Alex. Alex is over there. He's the one to answer your phone, phone call, and all he needs to know is your name and where you're calling from. 
I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation. Today, I'm headed after the show, and I always tell people, rain or shine. A lot of times when it's raining, you can find out, whoa, this is what some of the problems are or not or whatever it happens to be. I'm headed to Lebanon, Illinois, so that should be real fun. And... Uh, I just, you know, it's called a walk and talk. You can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. Homepage will have my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And also I have gift certificates, so it's getting near holiday season. So if you'd like to get a walk and talk to somebody as a gift, you can just contact me and we'll go from there. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I headed from South City up Gravoy, and I got to Tucker and Market. I thought, ooh, three giant flagpoles, one USA flag, state flag of Missouri, and the city flag. They were all really dwarfed by this impressive building. And there is a statue at the base of the building, too, and it's maintained by the St. Louis Police Foundation. And it's dedicated to police officers who have, been, who have died in line of duty. And the first one that I looked there was dated 1863. Also in this area, in this plaza in front of the building, there's cutouts. And this is actually the entrance to the Civil Courts building. Bradford pears, oh, they don't look so good. But one, a couple of them actually have some really pretty good bright red color. But most of them, they're well past their prime. So I'm sure there's some plans on getting those replaced. There's a one bed or a couple beds where boxwood are actually acting as parentheses around two varieties of ornamental grasses. And the ornamental grasses were just bouncing all over the place because of the, the wind this morning. It wasn't enough to make the flags on the flagpoles flap, but it was, they were standing pretty much straight out. And a sign reminds you, no bicycles or skateboarding in this area. The rain is becoming more intense, and, uh, but pedestrians are walking by, and even one was out walking their dog. A banner on the streetlight says, uh, this is where SLU Law School is, right across, a, right across Chestnut, actually. And it was time to move on as the raindrops keep falling on my head. So if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Guess what, folks? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, concerns, or comments? As much as we don't really like the rain, and especially you know when the fall colors are really, this might be the peak week, and it may be ending by, let's say, if it's going to get below freezing, on Wednesday or Thursday, that could cause a major drop in any kind of colorful foliage. So if you got an opportunity or a chance, get out in your own yard and check out the color and, or, you know, maybe take a trip someplace. And um, let's head out to O'Fallon, Missouri, and see what's going on with Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Good morning, Mike. Love the show. No, thank you. I have a rose bush, which I think is afflicted with a black spot. Is that the end of it? No, black spot is of a type of fungus. But what you need to do is, if it is black spot, make sure you get all the foliage and everything cleaned up, you know, that have, has fallen on the ground. And just next year, when the foliage starts coming out, it gets when the leaves are about halfway out, 
get a fungicide and start spraying the fungicide and do it every two weeks for about three or four applications. That's the best way you can get rid of it. But no, rose rosette is deadly, but black spot is strictly an aesthetic thing, and it does affect the rose production to a certain point just because it doesn't produce as much chlorophyll, which is the food that all plant material needs. But no, it's not deadly. Well, I've noticed that some of the stems are already dying back to the ground. Um, so is that something else that's affecting? It certainly probably is. And, you know, do, when you say dying back to the ground, are they like brittle? Is that why you yes. think? They're, oh, they're brown and brittle. Yeah. So uh, cut all those out, get rid of all those, get rid of the, f- but uh, no, that's not related to the, you know, let's say. The okay. I have been spraying it with some, it's a triple uh, fungus, fungicide, miticide, pesticide. Is that all right to use? It's okay, but you have to start with, especially with any kind of fungus or disease or virus or bacteria, you have to start the applications before you ever see it. Oh, so early next spring when right. it first starts leafing out, if I treat it thin right. every couple of weeks, it should be all right? Right. And uh, I would probably just get a fungicide specifically for that because you just, you're just you spending your money on nothing because there's not going to be any spider mites out that early or other problems as well. So just get one specifically to go after the black spot on your roses. All right. Well, it had aphids real bad early in the year, and ah. that's why I was using the triple action. Okay. Well, that's fine. Thing to treat all of them. Right. All right. Well, have a great rainy Saturday, <laughs> and uh, thanks so much for your advice. I've well, learned so much. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Oh, you're welcome. Bye. Great. Yeah, I. You know, when I was out doing my good gardening stroll, uh, you know, I have a, a raincoat more or less, and it does have a hood, but I hate hoods. I don't like them at all. So it really makes my cur- my hair really curly. So that's Oh, don't complain because mine's normally straight. So <laughs> I would love to have some of your curls. <laughs> yeah, I'm not complaining. It's just reality. So thanks a lot. Well, bye. See ya. And where are we going to head? How about the Fenton from O'Fallon and going to Ted Yard? Hi, Ted. Hey, Mike. Um, appreciate your show. Um, I know you've said it thousand times before and probably earlier today but um hydrangeas peonies uh hibiscus do i cut those the 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 dead out now or should i let it uh go through the winter to um protect the root systems basically get rid of anything any kind of foliage on the peonies because that is just uh, let's say more or less a farm next year for bacteria problems on the leaves so cut it and get rid of it. Don't just cut it off. But the other ones okay. you can leave alone. There's no reason to do any kind of pruning, especially if we're going to have a severe winter. Leave as much on as you possibly can because if there's winter kills as a result of the cold temperatures, then you can do uh, have to do another pruning anyway. So why not wait until you can evaluate what's happened, not only, let's say, naturally through the growing season, but also what the you know, Mother Nature possibly could do. Okay, so the peonies, I, what do I do, cut it down to the ground? Yeah, cut them to the ground and get the foliage out of there. Okay. And that's with okay. any kind of perennials, too. Any of the perennials that start, you know, start losing their color or even, you know, let's say things like Asiatic lilies and, and all that kind of stuff. Just cut all that foliage off and just get rid of it because it can harbor, you know, all kinds of diseases, like especially hostas if you have those. Slugs and snails can be on the underside of the leaves and use that as a winter protection. So just clear so up. cut those back down to the ground as well? Yeah. 
You don't have oh, to wow. yet because they're not discoloring yet. At least the ones that I have are not. But uh, yeah, yeah, I've got some that have uh, that have kind of wilted a bit. But um, what and and not for the hydrangeas or the hibiscus though. Yeah, I mean, the high is, is I'm assuming this is a hibiscus. It's a is that a perennial type hibiscus or are yes. woody stems? It's a per, perennial hibiscus, oh. perennial uh, hydrangeas. Uh, basically. Anything that has woody stems, just leave alone. Anything that has soft-tissued stems, you can cut those, you know, basically to the ground. Good rule. Okay, thank you very much. Great. Appreciate your show. Certainly. Thanks for having me on your show. And Maureen, how are you today? Hello, Hi, Maureen. I'm fine. Oh, good. Hey there. Hi, and uh, yeah, thanks for the show. And enjoy it. I have a question about Arbor Vitae. Um, is it normal for them to turn brown on the inside branches? Absolutely. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little concerned. Well, I got a lot of brown on the inside, and that's this is the first year it's done it. I've had it like three years. Yeah, so it probably never got to the process of where all of a sudden the inside is not getting any sunlight. So the plant's smart enough, and it's especially dramatic on any kind of evergreen-slash-conifer type thing, which an arborvitae is. So it happens to all the pines, all those kind of plants. Basically, inside just kind of loses all the, let's say, the greenery aspect. But if the oh. exterior is still green, then... Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, then you're fine. All right. Thank you so much. Certainly. Enjoy your show. Well, thank you. And with the evergreens, too, just remember that... Uh, it never hurts to get a soil test done. This is a great time of year to get a soil test because there's, like the University of Missouri does the soil testing in the agricultural department. If you wait till spring, they have so many, let's say, farmers that want soil tests, it could be a real delay. So you could get a soil test done, find out what the soil pH is, find out what the nutrient levels are, not only for just evergreens, but for your lawn and everything else. This is a great time to have tests done. So if anybody else has any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. People call in, and I appreciate their comments, uh, about uh, invasive plant materials, whether it be a Bradford pear or last week specifically mimosa, well, we were talking about, and somebody called in and said, you know, they're very aggressive. They can, birds can eat the seeds, which are kind of like in the pea family pods, and then there's mimosas kind of randomly all over the place. And, I mean, I completely understand that. But uh, here's something also related to a question that we had last week, and it's about invasive plant material. Creeping Charlie, also known as ground ivy, it's a perennial. It's an evergreen creeper that has scalloped leaves, and uh, the leaves form at the end of really long stalks. Not really long, but... A stalks, a set of leaves, and then it goes another couple inches, and then a set of leaves. It's a member of the mint family. This, that means the stems are square and will have blue, purplish flowers in late spring and early summer. This, is a, this weed, which is very invasive, very aggressive, is native to Europe, and it's spread by seeds. So that's why I recommend the, the people do a pre- and post-emergent control because the lady called about her neighbors had a major problem with this creeping Charlie, and it was coming underneath the fence into her yard. So uh, wherever, you know, and the stems actually can root any place where they touch the ground. And it's going to be most aggressive 
in the moist, shady areas, but it can tolerate and spread in sunny locations also. But here's something kind of interesting about it. So it is from Europe. The ancient Saxons used this plant, Creeping Charlie, for brewing beer. Now, I don't, you know, I didn't really research it to the point where brewing beer, but also it was brought to this country from Europe for medical purposes. And its volatile oil, since it's in the mint family, like mint oil type thing, is extracted and can relieve congestion and inflammation of mucous membranes associated with colds, flus, and cyanitis. So here this was brought in, and it pretty much can be found across most of the country except the areas that are really like Rocky Mountainous or desert areas. So anyway, Creeping Charlie, actually, I thought... Uh, you know, I didn't. I knew how to control it, but I didn't know its true history. And to think that way back when the Saxons used it to brew beer, whoa, that's totally wild. Let's go over to Tracy's yard, and she lives in Livingston. Oh, Tracy? Oh, <laughs> yeah, in Livingston, Illinois. Hi, Tracy. Hello. Hi. Great to see you, but uh, I'm here. Great. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I got a quick question about strawberries. My strawberry plants, what should I do to winterize them and get ready for the winter? As far as should I cover them with straw or do anything or just let them go natural? Uh, you can let them go natural, but uh, recommendations for, let's say, the professional growers is to cover them with a layer of straw. Not too thick so it you know, knocks them down, but just to offer a little bit of, let's say, protection to the cold. Just enough to catch the frost that drops on top of exactly. it. Exactly, right. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, great. Well, thank you. And now let's head over to Gabby's. Hi, Gabby. Hi. Hi. My question is, I have a weeping cherry, and half of it died, but half of it still looks wonderful, and there's, like, sprouts coming out of the trunk. Should I take it down, or is there hope for it? Uh, Well, the area that, you know, where it died is never going to really produce any new growth. So it's always going to be one-sided. It can be a Charlie Brown-type tree. And anything that's coming off the trunk, cut those off immediately because those are just uh, – weeping cherry tree is three different plants glued together. The root system, the trunk, and then the weeping part are completely separate plants. And the plant people, you know, stick them all together. So anything that comes – that's coming below from below where the actual weeping is – is never going to be a weeping branch under any circumstance. So you can either take it, take the thing all the way down because this part that where it's died is never going to put out any new growth on that side, or I've never seen it. And I've watched some weeping cherries for years and years and years. But uh, so it's kind of the choice is yours what you want to do with it. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Certainly. Yeah, it's an unfortunate thing. And, uh, you know, when part of it dies and you see some new growth coming off and you realize it's coming off the trunk. You don't quite understand. Well, that's a separate, tr- you know, plant, actually a cherry tree. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We'll be back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, uh, this is a time of year when the foliage starts dropping and you're probably already conscious of the fact that you have deer in your neighborhood, but they're going to really start looking around for stuff to eat. And uh, some of the plants... You know, in the future, if you want to add some plant material to your landscape that is more deer-resistant than others, then here's a couple of type of trees. The ginkgo tree, they don't like the ginkgo tree at all. They actually don't like the American holly. They don't like the hawthorn. They don't even like the junipers, you know, or the cedars. So 
Those are some of the trees that you could actually put into your landscape that the deer will leave alone. Some of the shrubs, gold thread branch cypress, oak leaf hydrangea, as opposed to some of the other hydrangeas. They don't like the oak leaf hydrangea. Why? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, Leucothe, Rosa Sharon, the blue spruce is another evergreen they don't seem to get on top of as far as eating. Hypericums, witch hazel, and uh, vitex. So those are some of the woody plant material you might add to your landscape in the future if you want to make sure that you don't have a problem with the deer just devastating things. So let's head to North County and go into Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Hi, Mike. Um, about three three weeks ago, we started noticing no, mole activity. And unfortunately, it started on, out on the side of our house. Now it's right smack dab right front on our front lawn. And it's um, this little bugger has been all over the front lawn and um, we tried the rig- we tried the juicy fruit gum we tried the baited mole or um, mole worms and a couple days ago I got myself a wire tech trap and um, it, it's just um, <laughs> I, I'm just kind of out of my depth because I've never had to deal with this before and it's We've been on this property for over 60 years, never had a mole problem before, and boom, I'm supposed to become a mole expert overnight. But it's, um, how do you, I mean, it's, it's, our front lawn looks like heck, it really does. And I'm, I'm just, um, well, how do you recover a lawn after this when you don't have any money to put out for professionals to do it for you? <laughs> Basically, you need more than one trap. And also, you need to place the traps. You have to watch the areas where the, let's say, newest tunnels are popping up and then set the trap on that. Moles are very yeah, aggressive. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing. I've watched probably 50 videos on YouTube on where okay. to place the traps and how to do it. But they're, these things are smart <laughs> or they're just outwitting me, you know. Um, so you, we've got a very small front lawn. Mm-hmm. It's not that big. So you think I should still get two traps? Yeah, I think you should add have more than one trap and set them, you know, on that newest popped up area, a few, you know, like probably five or six feet apart. The moles are very aggressive this time of year because they can sense the ground is getting cold. And also the earthworms start migrating deeper into the soil for the wintertime. So they're out there. They're trying to get as much as, as they can as far as food-wise because they know there's going to be a time where they can't tunnel down deep enough to where the earthworms are. So that's where the, what they're out there looking for. So your yard right. has turned into a nice yard. You have a lot of earthworms, or the moles wouldn't bother with your yard whatsoever. Well, one thing I'm, I'm, I'll make it short, I'm very concerned about is we had a sweet gum tree years ago that we took out way over 15 years ago. And that area is almost like it's sunken in. Um, it's, I mean, it's it's just made 10 times worse with the mole activity. I don't know if that's where they're hibernating or whatever. But um, do I? what do I do after we take care? And I know the moles can come and probably will come back. But in the meantime, if we do get, the, get moles, I mean, um, do I just put some topsoil on top of that area and kind of mound it so it... You know, you know, I'm just really concerned about where that tree was. It's, it's kind of sunken in, right. you know, and um, well, this is just making it worse. The sinking has nothing to do with the moles. It's just finally all the wood, even though the tree was taken out a long time ago, has finally imploded entirely. 
and the wood is basically rotted down to nothing. That's what the sinking is all about, whether it was a trunk or even going out from where the trunk was, the root systems. You'd think, well, the root systems should have been gone a long time ago. Yes, they should, but certain circumstances, that's not necessarily the case. So that's the problem there. And no, you can't just pour, you know, dump something on top of it. You have to mix it in with the existing soil. If you don't do that, then consequently, uh, it's just going to, it's not going to work. You have to make a nice blend. It's kind of like a cocktail. You can have all the ingredients for a cocktail, and if you just put them together and you don't run it in a blender, it's not going to work. And that's what you need to do with your soil or anything you add to it. And can I do this myself, or do, should I get a professional? I, don't, I wouldn't even know who to call to do that type of thing. <laughs> well, I would go to my favorite garden center if you want to you know, find somebody and ha- you know, ask them who they would probably recommend if you want to get a professional. You could do it yourself, but it's a lot of work. I won't fool you. There's no getting yeah, around. I got a hernia, so <laughs> I don't think I should be doing don't that. Don't do it then. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Mike. Okay, Have great. a good day. Okay, you too. Yeah, it's uh, and the moles also, they may spend the entire winter in your yard. The moles have a little den that they go back to. After they eat, you know, they eat for a couple hours, and then they head back to their den. The den is about a foot or so deeper in the soil. That's why a lot of times when you see piles of dirt in your yard, you go, what is this dirt? And you think, well, I don't know what it is, but that's where the mole lower tunnel is that goes back and forth that they use to go back and forth to their den where they go back in the springtime. The females will have babies there, and in the wintertime, males and females, that's where they sort of hang out, sleep, you know, and sort of stay away from the cold. So let's head over to Ken's yard. Ken, how are you today? Yeah, fine. You hear me? Yes. I found something that works every time. I've been trying for years to get rid of moles. I went to True Value, and they recommend Mole Go. It's called Mole Go. You put it on your hose, and you spray it. It's got castor oil bean in it. And then in 24 hours, the moles are gone. They don't come back all summer. It works every time. All right. Sounds perfect. Yeah, they don't have to cramps. You don't have to kill them, mothballs, all that junk. Spray it, and they're gone. So you spray it on top of the ground? Yes, yeah, just attach it to your hose and spray your whole, you know, I did, I sprayed the front yard, and then they go to the, and the next day they go to the backyard, then they spray the backyard, and they take off, and they're gone. All right, well, that sounds perfect. Yeah, castor beans are poisonous, so that certainly makes sense. And you can smell it coming off your yard, but it doesn't bother you, but it's it's just a lot easier. (laughs) It's a foolproof uh, way to get rid of moles. All right, now, how, what was this called? It's called Mole, uh, Mole, and you know M O L Mole Go. Mole Go. It's a true value. They recommend it, and you put it on your hose. You spray it. They're gone. They take off. It is amazing. They said in the 24 hours you're gone, and they were right. All right. So in other words, it's a repellent more so than actually killer. Yeah, you don't have to worry about killing them or mothballs or tramps. It saves you a ton of money. It can cost like 19 bucks, and they're gone for the summer. Well, that sounds perfect. Well, thanks for the insight. Nothing is any better than hearing what somebody's had some great success with. So thank you. If anybody has questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. To go back to the deer circumstance, some of the perennials and ground covers that deer prefer not to have, let's say wild ginger, lily of the valley, creeping flocks, uh, Vinca minor, which is the periwinkle in the, some of the sedums, the columbine, coreopsis, primrose, globe thistle, penstemon, purple coneflower. And a lot of these things, 
they either have uh, kind of a prickly, you know, let's say a hairy stuff to the foliage or leaf or whatever it happens to be, or some of them are just like really gummy, like some of the sedums. I'm not exactly sure why they don't like sedum, but they, they don't. And some of the varieties of bulbs that they don't like, the alliums, crocus, snowdrops, the hyacinths, the grape hyacinth, and fritillarias, as well as daffodils. So there are quite a few plants that deer kind of stay away from. So it's not to say if they're desperate, they won't eat some of it, but they, you know, for the most part, that's not going to be the case. Let's go back to the phones and go over to Tom's yard, and he lives in Baldwin. Hi, Tom. Yeah, hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, I had my lawn aerated and overseeded, and I have a couple spots, large areas, where it was kind of bare before they did anything to it. You know, it was under old trees and stuff. Should should that be, uh, I, I didn't bother to ask them, but should I straw over those bare spots? No. While the seed is down or? No, the Just straw is really, water. yeah, the straw really doesn't help whatsoever. If anything, you know, the ideal thing would be to spread some compost over the top of it after it's been aerated and the seed's been spread. But no, straw okay. is, I mean, I know all the utility companies, whenever they come in and tear up somebody's yard, they always throw a bale of straw down. But that really, a lot of times, doesn't help whatsoever. So you okay. can, you'd it have the same. Help keep it more. Yeah, compost yeah. is better than than straw. Right, exactly. Uh, like a quarter to a half inch. Okay. All right, I'll do that. Great. I live close to Valley Park, so I'll just go over there and get it. Sounds perfect. So, I right, thank you very much. Yes. Appreciate your show. Well, I Bye. appreciate you having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. If you're interested in doing some installation of woody plant material in your landscape, yes, you can still do it. The ground is not frozen. Just make sure that you're going to a nursery that you can trust, a year-round nursery. Things, places that put their stuff 75% off on sale, uh, I don't know if they've been really taking care of it really all that well as time has gone on. But installing woodies, trees, and shrubs, yes. Perennials, you're right on the cusp. I'd be a little bit cautious about doing that. You could still probably do it and be okay, but who knows. And also with uh, lawn seeding, I would not be putting any kind of seed on my lawn, which this time of year you'd only be doing a cool season lawn seed anyway, fescues or bluegrasses. But we're really getting to the point where it may not germinate and get well-established as far as the root system, good enough for the freezing and thawing cycle because that causes the ground to expand and implode, expand, implode, and that just works the grass root systems up out of the ground from newly germinated seed. Let's head over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you, bud? Very good. Hey, I enjoy your show. Shout out to St. Louis Composting. They're always very helpful. So um, uh, I have a rose bush. Uh, a mature one that kind of got in the way of a construction project, so I need to move it. Can I? It's it's a shrub, uh, four feet high, five feet high by four feet around, mature. I'm sure it was there before we moved in. Can I move that this time of year? And how does one go about that? Basically, you got to move it to a place that's going to have you know bright sun, fully sunny location. Or are you just moving it temporarily? No, I I'll find a permanent spot. Okay. So, uh, yeah. What do you think? 
Uh, it's going to be iffy because, okay. and if what you need to do is dig the start digging the hole about halfway out from where the stems are coming up out of the ground to the extension of the, of the uh, branches. So you're going to end up with a pretty good sized root ball, and that okay. the, the bigger the root ball, the better it is as far as being able to be able to be uh, transplanted. But you know, the day or two before you transplant, make sure that you water it really, really well, and then move it, and then water it really well. The hole that you're going to dig, you want to once you finally get the root ball up out of the ground, the hole that you're going to plant it into. Make it three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% as deep. So, in other words, the top of the root ball is going to be above the surrounding ground in the new location. Do I need to amend that soil a little bit? It's not the best soil around. Uh, Yeah, if you have some organics, that would be fine. I would not put any kind of fertilizer, peat moss, that kind of stuff in. No, but uh, if you have compost or something along that line, that's fine. But uh, definitely no fertilizer. Gotcha. Hey, bud, thanks for everything. Enjoy the show. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show. All right. And now let's go over to Jean's yard. Hi, Jean. Yes. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have a question. Um, I was looking out my door early evening yesterday and saw something that looked like a huge black fat rat. Could that have been a mole? (laughs) It was ugly. It was so ugly. It scared me. Basically, no. Moles are kind of gray, and they're not very big at all. They're only about okay. an inch or so. When you when they're then they flat, they have kind of their front legs are what they dig with, and they kind of look almost like fishing fins or something as opposed to actual feet. So this was probably a gopher, a groundhog, something along that line. Oh, maybe a groundhog then. Okay. Right. Thank you. It was so ugly looking. It scared me. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much, Mike. You're Thank right. you. My pleasure. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, some of the people are starting to see armadillos, but you would know it was an armadillo because it kind of looks like a dinosaur. But anyway. <laughs> and now let's head over to Jack's yard. Hi, Jack. Hello, Mike. Hi. Hey, uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, the, the, uh, uh, my question is a lot like the previous Mike. Um, we have a butterfly bush that we planted about two years ago, and it's, uh, um, I think we underestimated how big it was going to get. They get and, huge. Yeah, yeah, it is huge. And uh, so we were going to transplant it. Our question was how we should go about that. Do we do it this fall? Do we cut it back and wait and do it next spring? Basically, he had to move it because of construction. If, sure. you, if you have the option, wait until next year, sometime around uh, mid-early March, something along that time, before any kind of new growth begins. Prune it back at that time if you want to. You don't necessarily have to prune it. And then dig it up and get the, you know, a pretty substantial root ball and move it to another sunny location so you can get the a very big, aggressive growth. I mean, there are some varieties of the butterfly bush that are smaller, but for the most part, the standard one gets really pretty darn big. Yeah, this one is uh, the stems are probably four feet long on it or so right. now, and and uh, it just it just keeps reaching out farther. So we were going to give it a give it a place that it could, could expand. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of times people don't look at mature size when they put plant material in, and that's you know causes a lot of you know maintenance problems for the future. So yeah, get sure. it moved as soon as you possibly can. Don't put it underneath any kind of trees. It, it right. doesn't really mind being close to, let's say, sidewalks 
or driveways, except you don't want it to overgrow and cause problems on your sidewalk or driveway. But they can take an alkaline soil, too. They don't need an acidic soil like many of the other plants. Okay, super. All right, very good. Good luck with that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, don't wait until, I mean, the worst part of the weather, you know, comes along. Soil testing, and uh, so thanks, Jack, and good luck with moving that. Uh, Soil testing for healthy lawns and gardens. This is from the University of Missouri, and uh, soil tests an excellent gauge of soil fertility. Also, what it does, it tells you that if you've been fertilizing routinely or anything else, or you've had companies that have done it, you may have extravagant levels of certain nutrients that can cause problems for plant health and growth. So that is one of the real problems. We always think, well, more fertilizer is going to be the best way to go about taking care of a problem. No. So uh, getting a soil test done can really save you a lot of, you know, a lot of heartache. And also, if we keep putting the same things down, we could be doing some polluting of the environment as well. So soil fertility fluctuates throughout the growing season every year, and the nutrients can be altered with fertilizers, compost, mulches, limes, sulfurs, and all kinds of different other things, too. So the soil test is really going to tell you what this is all about. How do you take a soil, t- soil sample? Well, most errors occur when the sample is taken. Here's what you need to do. Take a few core samples for each, few cores of dirt for each sample. So separate one for lawn, garden space, and everything else. And you've got to keep them separate because if you mix them all up, it's not going to give you the information that you need. And cover the entire area. So don't just take them all from one spot. If you're doing your lawn, go to the front yard, go to the backyard, unless you're probably ideally you'd have one for the front yard soil test and one for the backyard too. But go to the furthest extensions of your, of your lawn area and take the samples at that point. And the best time to take the samples is in the fall because you're not competing with all of the agricultural circumstances because of farmers. And fall testing will allow you ample time to apply anything that you need to add to the soil. Let's say your soil pH is really acidic. And, you're, yes, lawn likes a fairly acidic soil, but they don't like a hyper-acidic soil. So you might have to add some lime. But don't routinely think you have to add lime because lawns like a soil pH of about between 6.5 and 6.8 or so. So 7 is neutral. Anything above 7 is alkaline. Anything below 7 is in that kind of situation. And uh, basically, for the garden and lawn establishment, 6 or 7 inch, you know, is a good, you know, good size. 6 or 7 samples, core samples, let's say, oh, what a maybe one inch core. Don't get any root systems. Don't get any grass blades. Don't get any kind of plant material whatsoever, whether it's in a lawn area or anything else. So just be conscious of that and get this soil test done and stop fooling around with it. Because if you don't, you're just, you keep spinning your wheels. You may be happy with the lawn one year, but if the weather changes, that's what the soil samples does. Enables you to make the nutrient changes that's going to be beneficial to your plant. It's not going to say, well, if we have a super dry summer or whatever happens, a super wet spring like we did this year, that it's going to be trouble or problematic. It's not going to erase the problems because of where we live. We're on the southern edge of the cool season areas. And we're on the northern edge of the warm season areas, so right at that transition point. And that's why a lot of the lawn circumstances, why we have such trouble 
Or if you go a couple, let's say 100 miles north of here, it's going to be a lot easier or better to grow the lawn situation. So if you have any questions or concerns, you can give us a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. See you after the news. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the KMOX Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour, and I'm letting Mr. Kelly go. His his throat sounds about as bad as mine, so uh, I don't want you to over-talk because you have to do all this professional talking for the rest of the day. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Anyway, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, comments, or concerns. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant selection, caring for ups and downs and all arounds. Annuals, I've got some of the dragon wing begonias. They are still looking very spectacular, but I guess they only got a couple more days. Once it goes below freezing... Also, another one of the plants I've I've gotten rid or not gotten rid of, but I've got all my summer warm season bulbs inside of the garage. I've cut all the stalks down. I'm letting I've taken them out of the pots. They're sitting on crates and uh, to dry out, and then I'm going to shake the soil off them. So the elephant ears, the cannas, I've got three different varieties of cannas and uh, elephant ears. Like I said. Uh, it takes a couple days for them to dry out so I can shake the potting mix off of them. And um, then I've already got my all the bulbs, the daffodils, and tulips that I got from Brightside St. Louis. I've got those planted actually last Wednesday. So I've been working because I knew it was going to get cold, and it's not all that much fun to do that stuff when it is cold. But anyway... Your annuals, your bulbs, your edibles, your ground covers, how are your houseplants? Get them inside ASAP. Your lawn, your perennials, your roses, shrubs, trees, vines, water gardens. And I'll share my thoughts, but remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but offer for you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He's doing the producing. So when you call, all he needs is your name and where you're calling from because, uh, even though he likes to be a plant expert, he's not quite there yet, but uh, he's trying to overtake the show, and that's why he's doing the show, so he can learn a lot, and then he can be the host sometime in the future. But anyway, if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, which is a landscape evaluation, aesthetic, or problem solving, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is where my email address and phone number are listed. As I said in the first hour today, after the show, rain or shine, I go for these, and I'm headed out to Lebanon, Illinois, and so it should be good fun. I always <laughs> Google Earth people's homes that I'm going to just out of curiosity to kind of see you know, how the landscape looks from 3,000, whatever it is. I don't know exactly how they take those pictures, but anyway. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial today goes out to Earth Day 365. It's an organization that's been around for 30 years. Yes, Halloween is coming up real soon, and you might like to get dressed up and everything else, but uh, a couple weeks, November 14th, why not dress up in 1980s, I guess, debris, no, costumes, clothes, or whatever, because that's the 30th anniversary of the founding of Earth Day St. Louis. 
This event is going to be at the St. Louis Artworks, which is on Del Mar Boulevard. But you can go for more information about this, info at earthday-365.org. This is going to be really kind of a great thing. So people can dress up in their 1960s, no, not 1960s, not hippie, 1980s outfits, and uh, you can have uh, Green Dining Alliance, certified restaurants, specialty cocktails, silent auction with fun Thanksgiving-ish themed raffles, a wine pool, free caricatures, and more. And whether you're part of the environmental movements 30 years ago or you've just joined more recently, it doesn't matter. Why not take part of this festival for 30-year anniversary by sporting your 1980s favorite fashions? I don't think I have anything left from the... My, my style of clothes hasn't really changed since the 80s, 60s, or whatever it happens to be. Anyway, enough of that. But uh, so Earth Day... 365, they're located on Humphrey Street in St. Louis. But more information, 314-282-7533 or go to info at earthday-365.org. So you want to attend a real fun event, why not do this with a 1980s theme? So let's go. why don't we get a call in? Let's go over to Vince, and Vince lives in Fenton. Hi, Vince. Hi, Mike. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, you know, I'm wondering, I, I just uh, spread uh, a bag of what was was uh, labeled as winterizer on my yard. Uh-huh. It was 26, 0, and 12 on the bag. And uh, what the way I, I hear you talk about fertilizer this time of year, I wonder, am I wasting my money on this stuff? No, I mean, if you have a cool season lawn, correct? So. Yes. No, winterizers, this is the time of year for that. Okay. I mean, is that fertilizer in there, 26, 0, and 12? Yeah, that's, a, that's usually those three numbers are nitrogen is the first number, potassium and phosphorus are the, next, you know, the other two. So that's generally the main ingredients that fertilizer is made of. There's other things that certain fertilizers have in them, other amendments like sulfur and calcium and this and that and everything else. But that's the main nutrients that makes up what fertilizer actually is. Well, I won't mention the brand name, but it doesn't have any date on the bag as to when to use it. Do you recommend it at a particular time? Basically, winterizer means once, uh, let's say, the, the, the cool season lawns start greening up sometime weather-dependent in September. So September, October, November, and maybe early December. Okay. I'm doing it right then. i got to get it some more then. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Certainly. And we'll get another call in before we go to break, and let's go to Tom from DePere. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mike. Uh, I had an un, unrequested assessment of my uh, boxwoods, and they said that I needed to treat them for a leaf miner, which I'm not sure what that is, and I'm curious. Uh, it seems like a fairly straightforward process. Uh, basically, leaf miner is if you look at individual leaves, there's little scribbles in them that look yellowish. That's what a leaf miner mm-hmm. does. Is it on the bottom side? No, there. I mean, there could be any place in, on the foliage. So, in other words, a leaf miner is a little bitty bug that that tunnels in between the top and the bottom of the foliage. Usually, they're not going to be on boxwood, but uh, on other plants like hollies and things like that, they're much more common. But they could be on the boxwood. And how would I treat them? How how would I get rid of them? 
get a systemic type insecticide. So in other words, one that comes up from the soil. You've put it on the soil, and it comes up through the root system, up the branches, and then out to the leaves, and then the insecticide is in the soil. I mean, in the leaf. And so when the leaf miner basically starts feeding, then it gets you know impacted by the insecticide. Okay. Hey, thanks a bunch. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, there's other things that work, but that's what I found to be the most effective. But make sure that you got a you know a substantial. If you only got a few of those, let's say scribbles on the leaves, I wouldn't worry too much about them. I just pluck them off with my fingers. But anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Joanne's yard. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. I live in Chesterfield. I have had a bird of paradise for about five years. It's always been in a pot. It's probably eight feet tall, but it's never bloomed. Every year I take it in and out, and I put it in a south-facing window, and it does wonderfully there. But since I repotted it, it's just too heavy to move. I can't get it into the house. Um, Can I move it in the garage? Um, Do I cut it back? Do you have any suggestions? (laughs) (laughs) I'd I'd hate to lose it. My husband keeps saying, find somebody to give it to us. Like, it's too big. Uh, basically, you can divide it, but it's not the ideal time to do that. Uh, your garage, I don't know if there's going to be adequate light. Temperature-wise, if you do move it into the garage and try to store it in the garage, put it in front of a window, and also don't set it directly on the floor. You know, Get a wooden crate or something so you can elevate it off the floor because the floors get colder than if you can elevate it up a little bit. Okay. Should I cut it back? Uh, you can, sure. Okay. All right. Well, dividing it, I guess, is a thought. I need an axe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but wait until next spring, you know. Okay. When you, let's say, in mid-April or so, then you can divide it, put it back into a smaller pot, give the other part away or something like that, or have two in a small pot. What what about it's never flowering, even though it does wonderfully? Yeah, that's kind of surprising because... I mean, age-wise, that is a factor with some plant material, but that shouldn't be the, the situation with uh, the bird of paradise. I mean, if the foliage looks good, everything looks good. Yes. Why it's not flowering, I'm not exactly sure. Okay. Are you fertilizing? Are you f- yeah, using I, You mm-hmm, fertilize? I fertilize it, yeah. Do you know yeah. what the numbers are in your fertilizer? No. Okay. No, I, I, you know, I just buy the regular kind of fertilizer, and I fertilize it pretty frequently when it's outside. Right. And, you know. And That's when you're supposed to. Uh, just make sure the first number is pretty low. So if you're getting a miracle Grow or something like that, sometimes the, f- you know, the first number is really high. That's nitrogen. That can cause a lot of growth, but it doesn't encourage flowering. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Certainly. Good luck with that bird of paradise. And, uh, yeah, they're pretty wild plants. <laughs> and they do get heavy. They have extensive root systems for sure. Let's head over to Kelly's yard. Hi, Kelly. Good morning, Hi. Mike. Hey, I have some um, lime that I bought, forty several 40-pound bags, probably in 2010. Is it still good to use? Not necessarily, because okay. wherever you're going to use it, it might have a pH that's already where it needs to be for the plant material that's growing there, whether it be a lawn or whether it be a garden space or anything else. 
So, no, just to routinely put lime out doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Oh, so should I just um, get rid of it? Well, you could do that or get a soil test done and find out maybe you do need the lime. So, in other words, soil tests, the numbers for a soil test are 0 to 14, basically. And up to from 0 or 1 to 7 or 1 to 6 is acidic soil. Seven is neutral, and then from eight up to 14, that's alkaline. So if you got a soil test done and it said your soil pH is eight plus, whatever it happens to be, uh, then you're not going to be putting lime down because you could really do some damage to the plant material. I didn't know if it expired after so many years. <laughs> well, if it's still, you know, if it hasn't gotten wet and everything else, it should be fine. But as far as using it, that's where the problem comes in. I gotcha. Thank you. That's good information. All right, great. Mm-hmm, bye. Now let's go over to Cleo's yard. Hi, Cleo. Cleo, are you there? No, Cleo's not there. Let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hello, Jim. This, yes. this is Jim. Okay. Uh, I bought two hydrangeas in about 18-inch pots last fall. Uh, they, I didn't get them planted, and they made it through the winter. I planted one in the summer, and it's doing pretty well. Now I have the other one still in a pot. Should I? Is it too late to plant that this fall? Uh, if you're going to do it, I'd get it done as soon as you possibly can. What about just burying the pot in the dirt uh, and then planting it next spring? That's fine to do that. A lot yeah. of times I recommend people that, you know, transplant stuff or they've got plant material and they can't get it installed, you know, properly in a location. So digging a hole, drop it, the pot down into the hole and leave about an inch or so of the pot top, the edge, above the surrounding ground. That's all you really need to do. Should I split that pot a little bit uh, or just leave it? Just leave it alone. Uh, as long yeah, as it's got, it has to have drainage holes in the bottom of it, or they wouldn't have survived to this point. So they right. should be should, fine. Should you cut the bottom out of the pot, or just Not leave necessary. it like it is? Just it should be fine. It's got probably adequate oh. drainage holes. Well, I'm lucky they made them last winter, and I don't want to lose the second one this winter. Right, and if it's a, you know, they should be fine, and you know, in this situation, the one that you planted, and the other one that's going to stay in the pot for the winter time. But if it's a severe well, winter, it could be, you know, to to either of them. Thank you very much. Yep. Yeah, that's a little Bye tough, now. you know, with plant material. So let's go over and see what's going on with Derek. Derek, how are you? Hi, good morning. Hi. So I've got uh, some fruit trees that um, one was a peach tree that came with the house 20 years ago. And the thing puts out so many peaches that sometimes it breaks branches. But, Ooh. Um, <laughs> But I've got uh, two cherry trees. One is pretty prolific. I've got another uh, Bing that, and then two pear trees and an apple that have been in the ground for five years. They've never produced a single thing, um, even though sometimes they get blossoms on them. But uh, but I didn't know about that. But the other thing is, when was the best time to prune them? Because they're getting pretty bushy, and I'd like to cut them back some. Well, if you prune them, then you're going to reduce the amount of flowers. The younger trees that are only five years old, are. do you know if they're semi-dwarf, dwarf, or standard-sized trees? They are standard. So you got up to like 10 years to wait before you're going to get much production. Ah, okay. So you got to, you know, you're only halfway there. I mean, it might they might start producing some fruit at the eight-year mark, 
But uh, f- as far as full production, it's you've got several years to wait. And what you can do is you should knock off some of the fruit so you don't cr- start cracking branches because that can lead to some major problems, not just breaking the branches, but even just a crack where water can run down the tr- trunk and get into the crack and cause problems that way. So Yeah. Uh, the trunk is pretty much a disaster. I've tarred it up pretty good. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, the deer the deer take the fruit. So, you know. <laughs> You're very nice to them. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yep. And now let's see what's going on in Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hi. How are you? Very good. <clears throat> I have two questions. How do I take care of my uh, red Japanese maple through the winter, and then uh, the magnolia. Uh, basically, if as long as they're... Have you just recently planted them? Uh, the Japanese maple this year, and uh, the other one last year. Okay, probably just uh, maybe three or four inches of mulch, uh, okay. you, know, a, you know, and a couple of... Probably like two feet across... Don't pile any mulch next to the bark or the trunk. And other than that, that's about all you really need to do. They're both, you know, pretty tough. If is the magnolia, is it a summer bloomer or a spring blooming? It's uh, kind of a halfway in between like me. <laughs> Does it lose its leaves or is it evergreen? It's evergreen right now. I don't know. I haven't, you know, I never really noticed, oh. I guess. The leaves, if it's an evergreen one, they're a little, they're a little bit... Uh, Let's say iffy, you know, when it's a severe winter because it could be cold enough yeah. where the foliage drops off. They're like almost like plastic, you know, pl- let's say oval-shaped plates if it's evergreen. But uh, probably it's not an evergreen one. If you, In the wintertime, you'd be very sure of it. But either one of them, all you need to really do right now is to mulch, you know, around just to protect the root system on both of them. In the future, probably a year or two from now, you're probably going to do something called deep root feeding. That's where you auger holes in the soil around the tree and put compost down in those holes to feed the soil. But right now, you really don't need to do anything. And then uh, you were somebody asked about the strawberries and putting straw on them. Right. Uh, I worked for a guy that I used to haul strawberries, so they and it's a long tradition here around Centralia, but they used to wait for a freezer or two before they'd, so the strawberries could grow all they could grow, and then they would put the straw on. Right. I should have mentioned that to him, to wait till there's a frost. There's going to be a frost here, you know, this uh, basically Thursday or so. Yeah, that'll be the end of the season. Won't right, exactly. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for the insight. I greatly okay. appreciate it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Again, I'm going to you know, sort of talk about one of the things I talked about in the first hour. When your perennials start turning brown, get rid of all the foliage or anything else. When your vegetable areas, you know, the tomatoes and all that stuff, don't just let them die in spot in the place. Get all that junk out of there because it could be really problematic as far as initiating a real problem next year for whatever you're going to grow in that space. 
peonies. It doesn't matter because even things that you don't think are disease-prone or insect-prone could be real trouble. Like uh, the gentleman that called with his boxwood with leaf miner, one of the perennial plants that have a lot of leaf miner is the columbine. So if you're growing columbine and you look at the columbine leaf or leaflet and you see a bunch of squiggles in there, that means you have leaf miner. So that is certainly plant you want to cut down to the ground and get rid of that foliage because the leaf miner can just winter over in the plant material as it falls to the ground. So just stay away from that. Let's go head over to Tony's yard. Tony, how are you today? Hello, Mike. Hi. Hi. Thanks for your service. Really appreciate your program. The um, I'd like to know, I planted some grass. And I, I overseeded uh, my lawn in the front and back, and uh, I did a little bit late because it was so hot so late in September. But it's starting to come up now, and I wonder if now is a good time to put some starter fertilizer to help it along. Um, I was also planning on later on November to put down a winterizer with, you know, the crabgrass prevention for next spring. Is that something I can do both, or should I not do the fertilizer now for the, the new grass? Or Yeah, how, how long has the grass been growing? Only a couple weeks? Yeah, exactly. I would say no, don't put a start, seed starter down with it. Okay. Just, so wait, just let it go and and maybe, wait. Maybe you know, the... put a seed starter down instead of the winterizer later on. Okay, so just a straight seed seed starter, right? And don't worry about it. And some of the grass, and I know, I assume more of it's going to come up, maybe not. But the seed that's in there, will that stay for next what root again next summer, next next spring? No. So anything is probably not germinated. It's germ germination. Germination is triggered by soil temperatures. So right. the soils are going to get cooler and cooler and cooler. Right. So if the, the grass seed doesn't germinate, the chances of it being able to go through the entire wintertime, snow, r rain, whoever, sleet, you know, ice, all that other stuff, and surviving and be able to come back next year uh, and germinate is very unlikely. Gotcha. All right, well, listen, thank you very much. I was just afraid to put it earlier because it was so hot. Right. So late in September, and then all of a sudden, bing, right. got the cold. That's St. Louis, right? Right, exactly. You never anyway, know. Anyway, well, thank, thank you again. Appreciate it. <laughs> my my pleasure. And let's head over to Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Yeah, good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Uh, I've got a couple of questions here. I'm kind of curious, is this a good or a bad time to go ahead and trim back my holly bushes and boxwoods? Anything that's evergreen, do not prune. Do not prune. Because if you cut off whatever, as much as you want to cut off, and then we have a severe winter like they're predicting whether it comes or not, you could have some major damage on the twigs that are left, and then the thing is going to be really whatever you've pruned off. you got other damage done to this, you know, because of the cold. It's going to really mess the plant material up. Wait until springtime. Wait until sometime between, let's say, Valentine's Day and mid-March, and then do the pruning at that time. All right. All right. I understand. Okay. My other question has to do with uh, I'm, I'm planning on uh, adding some additional burning bushes around my patio and one or two trees flowering uh, uh, maybe a magnolia or possibly a Japanese uh, maple. Um, is this a good time to plant, or should I wait for the spring? No, you can plant now. As long as you get it, in, get them in the ground before, let's say, oh, you know, it's tough to say because of, you know, the, but it's, the, you want the soil to be somewhat warm 
because that encourages root system growth. But uh, the main thing to do is just dig a proper hole for whatever you're going to put in. So three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% is deep. So the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. And then put a couple inches of mulch over the plants that you've just installed. Got it. I understand. Okay. I appreciate the information and thank you for your service. Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, fall's a great time to plant as opposed to spring. Spring, the ground is cold because we're coming out of wintertime. The root systems just sit there and are almost stagnant because it's too cold. They're just not encouraged to grow. No matter what you do, no matter the soil or anything else. So this, the ground is still fairly warm, so you can still do it. And let's head over to Jules. Jules, how are you today? Good morning. Hi. I have some uh, questions about tropicals. Uh, if I were a taro farmer, I'd starve to death with my <laughs> elephant ears. Uh, put these big bulbs in, and I never get a bulb back. Uh, I get the roots, and if I save those, they come back, and I have huge ears, but never never a big bulb again. And you said you already cut yours down. I right. usually wait until it freezes. Uh, you know, some Somewhere somebody said that way the sugar goes back into the bulb. But I've never had a big bulb form. Anything I'm doing wrong? No, I mean that's the reason why I don't wait till they freeze is because they're just too mushy. So that's just a personal thing. I just like to get it done while they're still rigid. I can take loppers out there and just chop them off pretty quick. And my bulbs are not near. You know, the bulbs are not anything like you when you go to a garden center and buy an elephant ear bulb. They all, some of the biggest ones you pay twenty bucks for or whatever. They're like almost the size of pineapples. Mine produce huge leaves and foliage and stems and everything else, but mine are probably more like a a little bit bigger than a tennis ball. And so, mm. you know. Okay, so I'm not the only one. Okay. No. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is Strelitzia. I have been growing them for five, six years now, and they're about three and a half, four feet tall, root-bound in a pot, and I never get any flowers. It's probably, it might be related to the amount of light. You might get some grow lights and try to grow them underneath grow lights. But definitely... They're, they're the, outside. The, well, the, the outside and then you're bringing them inside, correct? Well, for the winter. But, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm saying they're outside all summer long and never anything. So, and you're fertilizing? Yes. So you're doing everything right. Just uh, it might be maturity. It might be something, you know... But the strelitzias are, you know, they're pretty. You know, what we're talking about is bird of paradise, right? Right. Yeah. So the lady that had, she had a one that was eight years old that got so huge it was so too heavy to move in. She'd never gotten flower off of it off of it at all. So in uh, eight years. So I, you know, why this they're not flowering? I'm not really sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, sorry. We'll, we'll keep up at it. Yeah. Maybe go to mobot.org and put in, you know, bird of paradise not flowering and see what they recommend. All right. Thank you so much. Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah. The bird of paradise are pretty wild plants. Um, when I was working at the botanical garden, my first four years was in the English woodland garden, in which I loved. And, but I figured it was time for me to kind of move on. I wasn't going to plan on making the botanical garden my profession, my whole life. I wanted to go out and do some other things. I went to garden center management and all kinds of other crazy stuff related to plant material, of course. 
But uh, the last year was in the Climatron, and I went, wanted to work in the Climatron because in 1960, when I was in sixth grade, the year the Climatron opened up, we went to the uh, Botanical Garden, specifically to the Climatron for a field trip, and to see all those tropical plants and everything else. And then that final year at the garden when I worked in the Climatron, yeah, the Bird of Paradise... They, you know, they were flowering, but they had been in there a long, long, long time. So I don't know if it's an age factor with them or whatever it happens to be. You go, well, when you go to garden centers that have tropical type plants, a relatively small bird of paradise can flower. But there's steroids and things like that that a lot of the nurseries have access to that can trigger flowering, but you don't have access to that yourself. So... Just realize that, that could be the circumstance. It may be age. It may be all kinds of other things. But Bird, Bird of Paradise has, I mean, they have neat foliage. So, I mean, it's unfortunate. We are growing them for the flower, the orange flower. But uh, in essence, uh, it is a little bit depressing. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go. We're headed over to Karen's yard. Hi, Karen. Hello. Hi. Let's see. Three years ago, I purchased a service berry, and I had them plant it. Mm -hmm. I had the nursery plant it. And the first year, I had little red berries. Right. I haven't had any since. And now, the about a third of the bottom of where the branches start, they are all dead. Because I went out, and it just cracked. And... Then I went back to the nursery and mentioned it to them and talked to them about it, and they said that what I didn't water. I watered it through the winter, too, because I was interested in having it grow. And now a third of the bottom where the branches start, they're dead, and but the top leaves are okay and uh, when i went back to the nursery they just gave me some gradual gradual i can't can't say that word and i did and i'm watering it but i don't think it's going to make it well it doesn't sound good so is this a service berry that's a tree form or is this a service berry that's a shrub form tree and i called you and you suggested a service berry so i thought that'd be great right not doing well at so, all so does it flower to... in the springtime i mean it flowers in you know in the woods naturally before the dogwoods do with white white flowers no so if you it don't get any flowers. flowers if you don't get any flowers you're never going to get any fruit because fruits come from the flowers getting pollinated i understand so consequently this doesn't sound like a good shrub Did, who who actually planted it um they're on, uh, I can't remember, it's SCH something, MIT, they're in, uh, on so, 141. So in other words, it was a nursery that planted, it wasn't you or somebody that you knew or something like that? Correct. So that's, uh, I would think they should, you know, if they did the insulation, you got the plant material from them, then I think they should give you another plant personally. But uh, I, it does, like I said, a lot of times these nurseries, they have steroids on the plant material. That's why they can get flowering, and it may be a maturity thing, but you, brittle branches or brittle anything is not good. Oh, I'm not happy about it at all. Right. I had a tree there that was beautiful, and it only lasted about 25 years, 
and I think it was red bud tree. Okay. And it, you know, it only lasts very long. It doesn't last very long, and I wish I'd gotten another one. Right. But but uh, now I already had two spots that I can't plant a tree, and it's in the front yard, and I kind of don't know what to buy. Right. Well, was the red bud actually below or right in the same location where the service berry was planted? No. Okay, so it was away from that. So it wouldn't no, be... I'm aware of that because of you. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it sounds like a difficult situation. Hopefully they dug the hole properly and did everything right. But, mm-hmm. uh, and the plant material was, you know, healthy. So I don't know what to, you know, this is just a you know, bad circumstance. I just recommended service berry because they're native, they're tough, they're durable, and it's, they don't necessarily want a, a spot that's wet or anything along that line. But if they planted it properly, it shouldn't be, you know, in a low wet spot. Right. It's not. So I just, it's kind of on a slope a little bit. And uh, I truly wanted it to work. Right. Well, I agree. I'm sorry it didn't. So. I would say go back and talk to them again and ask them if they can, you know, offer you something, you know, a replacement or whatever it happens to be. You bet. All right. I'll pick something different. Thank you. (laughs) Certainly. And if you had good luck with the red buds, you know, the soil types and everything else, the insulation, regardless of the type of plant, makes a big, big difference. Daryl, how are you today and how's your yard? Hey, Mike. I'm good. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, thank you for your service and your experience. Um, out in St. Charles, uh, you said something about grass seed and aeration earlier, and I missed the, missed it. I just had my front yard aerated and double seeded last Wednesday the 16th. Ooh. So it sounds like that was really too late. If it's getting cold, it sounds like that was a waste of time. Well, it very well could be. You might keep your fingers crossed and it might work out, but uh, once you, to me, I always, you know, with nature and everything else, you're just throwing dates out sometimes, but mm-hmm. anytime after mid-October, I don't like to put seed down. Unless, yeah. I've yeah. I've talked to people on the show and everything else, if you got a bag of grass seed, you forgot about it or something, it was buried underneath some stuff in your garage, Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead and you know spread it if you want to, but uh, ideally, with the way our weather is, you just don't know with this freezing and thawing, or if the seed's mm-hmm. going to germinate, is it going to get penetration into the ground enough so it can survive the cold? So it's mm-hmm. going to be you know pretty iffy. Pretty iffy, yeah. Oh boy. All right. Okay. All right, Mike. Well, thanks again for all your service. Yeah, I mean, it's you may work out fine, but uh, I would say. Yeah. Ew, ew. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, sir. Thank, Sorry, Daryl. Thank you. Yeah. And now let's go over to Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Uh, yes. Um, I have uh, these, I think they're called rooster cones. they got that bright red flower on them. Um, they've got, like, little black seeds and stuff and in the flower. If I sprinkle them, like, by after I pull them out, because uh, generally, you know, it's not a perennial. But if I put them seeds in the ground, will those come up next spring? Or should I take the seeds from them and bring them in and then put them down in the spring, them seeds? Probably what I would do, I would gather the seeds, put them in an envelope, and just wait until next year to put them back outside. But what I would do, I would do that, 
But also, I just let some of the seeds drop and see if they're going to come back on their own. Okay. Sometimes, you know, for years, I've been collecting you know, various seeds from plant material I've grew, grown. And one is a moonflower vine. And it's a cousin to the morning glory. And uh, I always gather some of the seeds. But this past year, I, I gathered some of the seeds, so I have some in the garage, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, I just let some of the seeds drop in a bed space in, you know, in front of our house, and they came up on their own. And, I mean, they were very aggressive, very striking, and it's just with you know, certain plants it takes a while before from seed that, for them to actually get to the point where they start flowering. But uh, I never anticipated the fact that they were going to be able to survive but they did, and there was not any kind of trouble whatsoever. Okay. All right. Thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. Marjorie, how are you today? Hi. Hello. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to have a French drain installed that will impact the root system of a beautiful sunset hard maple that I have. I think it's going to uh, be at the drip line uh, area where it will be installed or maybe even more of uh Oh, the root system will be impacted. Uh, will this harm this tree? Uh, it may do a little bit, but if it's that far out, the drip line is about the sort of the end, a little bit past that is where the feeder roots actually are. Okay. So it's going to damage that to a certain point, but uh, it probably shouldn't be all that much trouble. Well, I sure hope not because it's just beautiful now. <laughs> it's a gorgeous tree, and I, I just don't want anything to happen to it, so... Okay. Well, I thank you for that information. It yeah. Makes you feel more secure. And uh, the French drain you're putting in because you got a major drainage problem. Yeah, it's impacted a uh, a, a uh, hairline crack in my basement. Oh. Uh, of right. Foundation, and it only happens when the water uh, when we get a lot, a lot, a lot of rain. Right, like we did this spring. Now, oh. is how close is a tree to your house? I'm sorry. How close is a tree growing to your house? Oh, it's not the tree that's the problem. Okay. It's, it's probably, uh, probably about maybe 20, 25 feet away. Yeah, just so. Once the branches start hanging over the house and the root system is extending that far, and a lot of times the root systems will just hit the foundation and they look for fissures or cracks too, so they could you know, be adding to the situation, but it sounds like you've got it all taken care of. Yeah, yeah we do. Oh, so. Great. That's not the problem. So, well, <laughs> thank you so much for the information. We're great. My pleasure. And, yeah, you should, the tree should be fine. And um, as I said, in the first hour, I finally, I've gotten all my bulbs, my tulips and daffodils planted. I've got some grape hyacinths that I haven't had in pots. Grape hyacinths are kind of a unique bulb in the fact that they send up foliage this time of year. And then the foliage will die. And then next year, the grape hyacinths will come up. And then consequently, after they finish flowering, then they'll start producing, you know, some foliage. So it's kind of a backward circumstance where a lot of the spring flowering bulbs, they actually push up the foliage. Then they start, you know, then they send the flowering up as a result of the foliage being there. So all my spring bulbs are in the ground and are actually in pots. But uh, if you've got some tulips, you've got some daffodils, get them planted before mid-November so they can get well-established, and it's got to be in a really well-drained circumstance. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. I appreciate everybody who called in, and I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.